and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny Jason Stark <laughs> is against humanity. Take away the human elements of Starkville. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. And as always, I'm joined by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Glanville. Doug, welcome back to Starkville, my friend. How are you? I am doing great. Always good to be in town here. I guess we live here, so well, I guess that's what it means. <laughs> we can't, I don't know if we live here, but we cannot escape from Starkville, that's for sure. Uh, Doug, Doug, this week on Starkville, we're going to look at one of the most fascinating signings of the year, the Christian Yelich contract, with the help of our good friend and frequent Starkville tourist, Ken Rosenthal. Uh, we're going to put on our clairvoyant caps and play uh, one of my favorite games, the over-under game. Uh, we will debate whether the solution to sign stealing is more technology or less. <laughs> and by popular demand, we're going back to the dugout. And Doug, you will tell another insane spring training story. I really can't wait for this one. But um, but first, I, I want to talk location. You, you know, I've now spent a week or so of spring training in Florida. After a week of spring training in Arizona, like personally, I really enjoyed both of them. But here would be a summation of the difference. In Arizona, I never drove more than 35 minutes to get to any camp I visited. But the other day... Here in Florida, I spun off a fun little 450-mile day trip from the west coast of Florida down to the Nationals camp in West Palm Beach. Doug, that was eight uplifting hours at the wheel, or it should have been, actually. But uh, on the way back, I get off the Florida turnpike, and the road is closed. So I sit there, not moving, for 20 Really, really entertaining minutes. Oof. So I, I needed to get that out of my system. Did, did you put I, Starkville on the on the radio? You know, on the. I did, did listen the to the. Uh, I did listen to Starkville as part of my eight hours of entertaining driving around Florida. Excellent. Because uh, why wouldn't you? That's what you do in spring training. <laughs> <laughs> but this leads me to a question, Doug. Because you, when you when you played, you did the spring training tour in both places, Florida. In Arizona. So I'm going to make you commissioner of baseball for a day. Your first issue is you get to decide every spring training camp has to be in either one state or the other, not in both. So where would you hold spring training, Florida or Arizona, Commissioner Glanville? Ooh, I will move it to the desert. Arizona would be my call. Well, this is a total player-biased answer because I remember dreading, even in Arizona, knowing we'd wake up, you know, we were in Mesa for the Cubs, we'd have to go take the bus to Tucson. And it was like people fought to not get on that bus ride. That is like all the time when you're in Florida. It's all these trips, yeah. all East Coast, West Fort Myers, you know, and we're in Clearwater. It's just like 
the players don't want to do it. They're just like, no. So Arizona, of course, the other side of it is when I was in my younger days, the guys liked the fact that Arizona had a, like a curfew. They closed everything at one o'clock. So you really couldn't stay out late if you wanted to. So it was very controlled socially. You could hang out with players on other teams because everybody was close by. So it, it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, now your skin dried up and it felt like your face was in an oven, which was a little bit of a drawback. But for the most part, I picked the desert over the grapefruit. So in other words, it's all about you and your convenience. That's this all is true. it's about. Player convenience, 100%. Uh-huh. You know, we should move along and actually do a show. How about that? And, you know, here's a little symmetry for you, Doug. We're now a little more than two weeks from opening day. And while we're on the subject of two weeks, it's also week two for us here at Starkville 2.0. Got some tweaks to our show here in season two. And, you know, as, as we told you last week, uh, you know, the entire planet, uh, probably even everyone up there on Mars, if they have decent Wi-Fi, can now listen to our whole show absolutely free anywhere that they get their podcasts. And here's even bigger news. If you like this podcast, there's probably some team in the big leagues that you are passionate about. And guess what? If you have one of those teams, The Athletic has you covered. We've got 16 different local Major League Baseball podcast going now. These are shows that include the best baseball writers in the business, but we've also got broadcasters, former players, all kinds of cool guests and co-hosts stopping by. And now, every one of the Athletics Baseball podcasts is free at Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcasts. So you should check out the Athletics Network of Baseball podcasts today and also, you can save 40% on a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Just go to theathletic.com slash Starkville. If you're new to the show, uh, let me say once again, we divide this podcast up into innings, and we start every inning with a trivia question. We invite you, our favorite listeners, to submit a trivia question, and then we will actually use it on our show. We'll talk about you on the show, and we'll tell you how you can do this later in the show. But now that we've got all this out of the way, let's play our game. All righty, Doug, here's your first inning question. Since we're about to chat about Christian Yelich with our pal Ken Rosenthal, I got a little Christian Yelich trivia for you. Uh, last year, Christian Yelich became just the second brewer in history with 40 homers, 300 batting average, and at least a 950 OPS. So mm. he's one of two. Can you name the other to do that? Oh, wow. I mean, all right. I You have to think of the years of Prince Fielder, Ryan Braun. Prince Fielder, Ryan Braun. Braun Fielder, Fielder Braun. Braun Fielder, Ryan Fielder, Prince Braun. <laughs> so... I, but you know, it's like, I know Fielder hit 299 one year. That just, that just stuck with me. Cause that's what I hit in the Arizona Folly. Did he hit three? So <laughs> I'm going to eliminate him. So I'm just going to go Ryan Braun. Cause he just was, he's been good for so long. He, he must've had a year like that. 
Yeah, that is that is well done by you. 2012, that MVP year. Nice. Huge year. 319, 41 bombs, 987 OPS. Now, Christian Yelich had an 1100 oh. OPS last year, so he, he actually blew that one away. But uh, good guess. Well done. All right. Yes, on the scoreboard. Hey, Doug, it's time to welcome the great Ken Rosenthal back to Starkville. Uh, Ken, I think you've now visited Starkville what, like two months in a row, right? All so right. I'm pretty sure that qualifies you for frequent Starkville points. So keep this up. I promise we'll send you a stylish Starkville luggage tag any month now. <laughs> oh, I was hoping for a T-shirt, but I'll take the luggage tag. <laughs> yeah, the T-shirt budget's a little uh, sparse right now. <laughs> but, but, well, I'll, I'll, I'll see what we can do. Um, but right. really, Kent, I'm glad you're here. Because last week you broke the news that the Brewers were closing in on a seven-year, $188.5 million extension with Christian Yelich, which means that if you include the two years he still had remaining on his current contract, he's going to make about $215 million over the next nine years. Uh, He also wrote a tremendous column in The Athletic, putting this thing in perspective. So let's kick this around. And... First off, uh, it's been interesting to hear the reactions of this deal, Ken. Like on one hand, uh, there are only 10 other active position players who own a contract that, that worth as much as Christian Yelich's $215 million. Bucks. Um, and Christian Yelich is obviously one of the 10 best position players in baseball. But the general reaction feels like it's been, boy, he really sold himself short, left hundreds of millions of dollars on the table. So, Ken, let's start there. Was this deal a mistake for either Yelich or the Brewers or even both? I don't know that you can ever say a commitment of this size for the player is a mistake. And frankly, you can even go to some of those awful pre-arb deals that players sign that are incredibly club-friendly. And it's difficult for me to sit here and say when a guy takes, say, $30 million when he barely has played in the majors – that's a mistake. I have a hard time doing that because if I was in the same position, if my child was in the same position, I'd have a difficult time saying no. Now, in the general context of player salaries and the market, is it a mistake? I don't know that you'd call it a mistake, but does it represent progress? No, you can't say that because generally speaking, what the union wants the players to do is drive the market. Now, this deal does not do that, but you have to look at it from Christian Yelich's perspective, too. And here's a guy who was not going to become a free agent until he was 31, until the 2021-2022 offseason. A lot can happen between now and then, and not all of it good. So from his perspective, he essentially was taking a seven-year, $188.5 million deal as a 31-year-old free agent, right? That's kind of where he would have been. Now, yes, granted, right. Salaries would have been higher or maybe higher at that point, should be higher. There should be a new CBA in place. There better be by then. <laughs> and <laughs> you would hope you would hope that at that point the escalation just continues. And actually, when CBAs generally are signed, the money starts to flow again. So, okay, from that perspective, you begin to understand where he's coming from. I don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of years. I don't know if – I'm guaranteed to do great at age 31, even though Anthony Rendon just did great at age 30. So from his perspective, I have a hard time calling it a mistake. 
at the same time, does it drive the market? No, it does not do that. And yes, you can look at Mookie Betts. He's going to make almost twice as much money in his career than Yelich, and they're kind of comparable. So that alone is a little bit weird. Now, from the Brewers' perspective, I wrote about this a little bit in my column. This is a team with the worst farm system in the majors right now, kind of universally regarded as that. It's a team with a window to win, and even though they lost Moustakis and Grandal in the offseason to free agency, they believe they can be competitive again and for the next few years as well. So you can look at it on one hand and say, hey, a long-term deal like this is rarely something that turns out well for the club, and for a low-revenue club like the Brewers, it's an excessive risk. There is that. That's definitely true. And I wrote, and this got Brewers fans very upset, that painful as this might be to say, it actually might have been better to trade him with three years, $41 million left on his deal. You kill it in the trade, and you just kind of retool and go again, kind of reset the whole thing. Obviously, fans hate that idea, and I don't blame them. Why do you want to trade a player like Christian Yelich? He's great. So – the Brewers made the decision that probably is best for them at this time. But does this thing work long term? I don't know that it works long term. You can never predict a nine-year deal is going to work out long term. So it's one of these things, Jason, and we've been through this with every one of these deals over the years. <laughs> there's pros, yeah. there's cons, and you, you can understand the rationales on both sides, but you can also point to the holes in those rationales. Yeah, you framed it well. Look, it's for Christian Yelich, this is life-changing money. Life-changing money, right? And for the Brewers, it's their best and most beloved player. And it's important. I still think that's important for teams like that to keep players like this. And that brings me to something else that you kind of touched on, which is what this means for other players, uh, I'm thinking specifically of Francisco Lindor, who's a guy I just wrote about in The Athletic. And, you know, Milwaukee's actually a smaller market than Cleveland. And yet the Brewers were able to get their star signed. So, I mean, I heard this. You've heard this. Francisco Lindor keeps saying how much he loves it in Cleveland. If he does... Why would this not be putting some sort of template in place for that to happen with some sort of similar deal so he could stay there? Because it's not apples to apples. And Lindor will be a free agent after the 21 season, two more years, at age 28. He'll be in position to absolutely crush it on the market. Yelich was not there. He had the previous deal, which was a club-friendly deal as well that extended through his age 30 season, and he would have been a free agent entering the age 31 season. So there was a little more risk in his mind in not doing a deal. For Lindor, he's in the sweet spot that all teams want. I mean, not as sweet as Bryce Harper and Manny Machado going into their age 26 years, but he'll be going into his age 28 season, and he, I am sure, expects to be paid lucratively because of the age factor and, of course, his immense skill. So it's not quite the same. And I know a lot of Indians fans said, why can't we do this? Why are our owners so cheap? Well, you can make the case that their owners are cheap, but I just don't believe that Lindor is as receptive as Yelich was to this whole thing because of the age difference. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it. I, I know Doug has a question, but just, just to follow on that quickly, um, in the piece I wrote in Lindor 
I mentioned an idea that I haven't had a chance to ask you about. Uh, this came from uh, an executive from a small market team, told me this has been uh, the product of a little small market brainstorming. Um, the idea is much like a tax credit that we would get in our lives. Uh, teams like this would get a revenue sharing credit. In other words, if you're a revenue sharing receiver, you get revenue sharing money, and then you go out and sign a major league player to a long-term guaranteed deal, you could tap into this revenue sharing fund, get a credit so that if you're paying, just an example, Francisco Lindor, $30 million a year, the actual out-of-pocket expense for your team is only $20 million a year. I personally think it's important for the sport, the teams and markets this size be able to keep their stars. That felt like a cool idea that would force teams to actually spend their revenue sharing money on big league players. I love that idea. Ken, as I said, haven't had a chance to ask you about it. Do you think that's workable? Yes, I do. And I don't know the exact particulars of the math and how it would work. And I'm sure there'd be some objections, maybe large market teams raise or whatever, but Something along those lines would make a heck of a lot of sense. And Jason, as I just talked about, yes, Brewers fans recoil at the mere mention of trading Yelich, as they should. You should want <laughs> they that hate guy you, Ken, because you hate their team. <laughs> right, right. You should want him on your team, and it's the same with the Indians. You should want Lindor on your team, and from the perspective of the sport, and this is what you touched on your story, the sport should be positioning these teams to have a chance, a better chance, I should say. To keep these players, you can make the case they all have these more money than we think, which is true, and they all should be signing these guys. But that's not the reality of where it's going. So, the idea that you proposed, in my view, something along those lines, Jason, doesn't have to be exactly that, but it can be something, of course, with the same spirit. That would be brilliant, and those teams would have the choice. They don't have to keep a player like that. Maybe they choose not to keep him, but at least this way they would have a reasonable chance if they wanted to keep that player of doing a deal. Yeah, which is important. Doug, I know you have a question. Yeah, you know, I mean, Ken, one one question I have is just about Yelich going from the Marlins to the Brewers. Uh, what did the Brewers see in Yelich to know that this would be such a great fit? Because his career uh, went, it was already stellar. Now it went into the stratosphere once he was you know moved over from you know, the Marlins to the Brewers. So, you know, what did they what did they tap into and why has he been so successful there? Well, Doug, if you remember, he was a guy that people always thought would develop more power and be a really good hitter. That was the way he was thought of from the start of his career. What the Brewers liked was when they got him, he's entering his age 26 season. He's on this incredibly club-friendly deal. And it was... I don't know, seven years, 49 million at the time, something like that. And the last two years, we'll pay him 12 and a half and 14, I believe. So that's how club friendly it was. He's won an MVP and finished second, and that's what he's getting paid the next two years. So they saw that potential. But even if they had just gotten Christian Yelich at the player he was before, he was coming off with the Marlins back-to-back years, 859 OPS, 807 OPS. He was good, really good. And I think their thought process was if he gets a little bit better we've got something really special if he doesn't if he's just this guy he's still a really good player on an undervalued deal 
Yeah, I mean, you start looking at the at the metrics on him, the way uh, exit velocity and launch angle and the ballpark have all come together for him. You can understand why this is happening, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, we got one more thing to kick around, and that is who's next. <laughs> uh, the wake of this extension. So who's the next star who's a year or two from free agency to sign a big extension? Um Let's, let's, let's just go around the horn and each take 20, 30 seconds. I'll take JT Real Muto with the Phillies. They've been talking about that extension. Uh, from what I'm hearing, it's not going that well because, you know, much like uh, JT's agents argued during his arbitration hearing that he shouldn't be compared just to other catchers. Uh, it seems like the stance they're taking in this negotiation, too, that you should compare him to like a Paul Goldschmidt, maybe, or even an Anthony Rendon as opposed to Yasmani Grandal. So it's going to get probably more expensive than we originally envisioned. But I still think this happens because I feel like the owner, John Middleton, is as determined to get this deal done as he was last spring with Bryce Harper. Doug, who do you predict? Well, I have to go to Chicago land and, you know, Javier Baez, I mean, you probably go Chris Bryant too, but Javier Baez is just, you know, he's such an anchor player. He's got the whole package and the Cubs, you know, have now identified with him and vice versa. So, I mean, the talent on, you know, both sides of the ball from the defense, the versatility, the skills, the intangibles running the bases, the power game, the fact that he's now spraying the ball around all fields, uh, line to line with authority, with power. I mean, he just seems like there's no ceiling, and it's, it seems like it would be in their best interest to lock him up sooner rather than later and really start building around him. All right, Ken. Now, now let's let's have a guy who actually knows stuff make a prediction. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Doug knows stuff, I think, and I'm going to agree with Doug because Baez is a logical one. And keep in mind, they have not been able to lock up Bryant. That's why you heard all the trade talk this winter that to this point has gone nowhere and Baez is certainly someone that they've identified and would like to target for an extension what's really interesting and I just learned this I should have known it already but I just learned it working on a Trevor story uh story (laughs) there are four shortstops who are really good who will be free agents after 2021 four of them Baez is one, Lindor is another, Trevor Story is a third, and Corey Seager is a fourth. Now, I don't know that that is going to influence Baez, but I don't know that I'd want to be necessarily in that class with those guys, all of them, you know? I, I It might behoove one of them, to, or two of them even, to take the extensions rather than compete with one another. Granted, they're all great players, they're all going to do well, I don't have any doubt about that, but Baez is happy there, they've done a tremendous job developing him. He's done a tremendous job becoming the player he is today. And it just seems like that's the guy they're going to build around with their new TV network. And don't rule that out either. That's not a small factor here. You need stars for your networks. So it's going to be something that should come together. And I would not be surprised if it came together before opening day. Good call. Uh, Ken, look, you've obviously got more important people to talk to today than us, so I'm going to let Not you really. run. But <laughs> Okay, well, in that case, uh, now we're going to let you go. Uh, but uh, remember now, one more visit to Starkville, 
you'll earn your special Starkville Platinum Elite luggage tag. So come back soon. All right, what do we got next week? <laughs> you be deputy Anytime mayor. you want to come to Starkville. Yep. Always a pleasure to visit, boys. All right, guys. Always thank a you. pleasure to have you. Thanks, my friend. Thanks, guys. Dig? Yep. Uh, it's time for your second inning question. There were five teams last year that won at least 10 more games than they had won the year before. And this is a hard one. So I'm going to give you a little multiple choice. Which of these teams was not on that list? In other words, did not have a win jump of 10 wins or more last year. Was it A, the Rangers, B, the Nationals, C, the Braves, or D, the White Sox? Oh, wow. Rangers, Nationals, Braves, White Sox. White Sox. Oh, wow. So I I know I did some work at NBC Chicago, so I should kind of know what the White Sox did. But um, I yeah I don't I don't think they were very good last year. So uh, I know the Nats were you know they had a pretty big jump. Braves, Rangers seemed like they snuck in there. So I'll, I'll go D the White Sox. So in other words, you did a little work in Chicago last year, so you should know this. But you acted like you really don't know this. And okay. guess what? You, you didn't know this. <laughs> the White Sox went from 62 wins to 72 wins. So oh, they exactly did that. make the list. Oh. The Braves, on the other hand, only went, only went from 90 wins to 97. So the answer is C, the Braves. Nice. And I, I, I like this multiple choice thing. I think yeah. we're going to keep – let's keep this up. It's, <laughs> multiple choice is, is very fun. Uh, Doug, bring this up because it's time to play. One of my favorite spring training games over or under. Yeah. I don't bet on baseball. I'm pretty sure you don't bet on baseball, but I have heard rumors. There are people on this planet who do bet on baseball. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they bet on is over unders, right? Yep. So here's the deal at Caesars Palace, they have set the over under odds for all. 30 teams and we're going to rip through just a few of those teams just for the fun of it say whether we think they're going to go over or under those win totals uh one little piece of advice do not bet your life savings based on our predictions okay i can't speak for doug i've made many predictions about baseball let's just say i'm not the amazing kreskin what about you doug (laughs) yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't mortgage the farm on uh my answers here, but um, you could rent the farm. Maybe rent it. <laughs> no, do not mortgage or rent the farm or bet your life savings. Got it? Now let's play over or under. Start with the Yankees, Doug. A hundred and a half wins. Wow. Over or under? This team's got a lot of injuries they're already dealing with before they even make it out of Tampa. Over or under a hundred and a half? I got to go under just for that reason they're they're banged up and i don't know these are they coming back anytime soon it's concerning stanton severino uh judge uh paxton paxton gary yeah. sanchez now sanchez Hicks. i mean yeah so I'm, I'm gonna just say under they'll still have a great year but they're they are really beat up all right how about this i'm actually gonna go over Ooh, I just old. think the Yankees are so deep, man. Last year, everybody got hurt on that team except Aaron Boone. 
And did it matter? <laughs> Didn't matter. They still won 103 games. They hit 300 home runs, and Stanton missed pretty much the whole year. I actually think they're better this year than they were last year. Uh, I think that other than Luis Severino, everyone else who's gotten hurt this spring is going to make it back at some point. So I'm going over. You've got under. All right, now here's a fun one. Astros, they're at 94 and a half. What do you got? Over or under 94 and a half wins for the Astros. Is is there through? Is a through an option, right? Because you just say over and under and through the woods. You just say through, right? Is that an option? Through? Through would be what? They win 94 and a half? You exactly. should definitely not bet that. Okay. All right. <laughs> they will not win a half again. So uh, pick one. Come I on. Was, I will say over. I would say they're going to win 95. I think they'll be right around there. 95. I think that's a very accurate prediction. 94 and a half. So I'm going to go 95. Over. Okay, now I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you again. I think I'm going under. I, you know, I'm not doubting the talent on the Astros. Still one of the most talented teams in the whole sport. But I I really worry about starting pitching depth, especially with Justin Verlander leaving his start the other day with tricep soreness. Already had some issues this spring with with groin soreness. And here's my thing. They are not winning 95 games unless Verlander and Zach Greinke are both great, right? So, uh, honestly, I'm worried now that with Verlander, this is something that could linger into the season. Uh, And also, one more thing. Remember that cheating thing? Remember that? that, that, The fallout from that is going to go on all year. It's going to make their lives Way less fun than they think, so I'm going under with them. Well, you remember, Let's do the Braves now. Well, you remember oh, the quote what, what, though: "In Dusty, we trusty." That that was the, that's what the. So I'm gonna say he he's the he's the X factor, Dusty Baker. Did you just did you just quote yourself? Oh no, that was in a dusty team. That was that was a Cubs thing. That in Dusty, we trusty. <laughs> so I figured we'd bring that back at okay. this moment. It's, that's, it, this this is not Nobel Prize winning poetry you're you're quoting, but that's fine. We we, we never claimed we were going to win a Nobel Prize here at Starkville. So let, let's move along to the Braves. The Braves over under is set at ninety. What do you think? I'm going to go over again. I mean, the Braves are an electric team. This team is dangerous. I mean, Freddie Freeman a little banged up, yes, elbow, but he's he's back out there. Uh, I, I think this team is going to do some wonders this season. Tough division to some degree. Nats are still there. Phillies probably will give us some noise. But wow, Braves are super talented. Ninety, I think they can they can sur- they can surpass that. I, I, I agree. I'm I'm going over. Uh, they did win ninety seven last year, as we mentioned in the trivia. And I like, I know they lost Josh Donaldson. I know Cole Hamels hasn't done anything this spring. I know Freddie's still dealing with that elbow, but. This team is still loaded. Uh, this is a potential win the World Series team if things break right on that pitching staff. So mm-hmm. I'm going over. All right, now here's one I'm really intrigued by. The Mets. The Mets over under is set at 87, Doug. 87. Mm. What do you think? I got to go under. Uh, they, you know, they just can't get out of their own way. You know, it's... And, uh, you know, I know they have challenges, you know, whether it's different 
injuries they've dealt with, their pitching and the, the drama with the dynamic front office, whatever's going on, a lot of change. So I, I just think they're going to have some bumps in the road, but they're still better. So 86, 85, 86, somewhere in there sounds right to me. Well, you realize they won 86 last year, right? So you can't say they're better and then say they're going to win 85, can you? This is true. You can't really say that. But that, is, that would be so, a, a fitting equation. And the Mets fans could relate to that, actually, <laughs> so, in their yeah, torment. Sure. <laughs> We're the better and we won be one less win. game. <laughs> right. Or 20. Um, I, but I agree with you. I think they're better. So I'm going over. Um, I haven't personally seen the Mets yet this spring, but talking to teams that have played them, talking to scouts who have seen them, there's a lot of buzz about the Mets right now. Uh, I, I know that something always goes wrong. It's what they do. It's especially their house. But if even a few things go right, I think this is easily a 90-win Mets team. So I'm going to go over with them. Bold. All right, now the, team, yeah, now the team that you work for and with, the Cubbies. The over-under at Caesars on the Cubs is set at 85 and a half. What do you got? Over or under? I got to go over on that one. I mean, yes, they they fell apart the last couple of years in September. So there's no question that the Pakoda that called out the age of their pitching staff, which is still a question, was fair and no doubt about that. But I like, I like what yeah. David Ross is bringing. I think they have some nice changes and there's motivation that's a little different this year with the you know new regime they have uh you know Baez contract questions and Chris Bryant I think will have a huge year he's uh you know under the radar guy so I'm going to I'm going to say over I, I I believe they're better than an 85 win team uh I think this is one of the toughest calls of this whole group they won 84 last year they had to collapse at the end of September to avoid avoid winning more than that, um, yeah, I, I, I'm really agonizing over this one. Uh, I still like their team, uh, but I'm really worried about depth, especially worried about pitching depth. Uh, I'm going to go under, but I actually think they could be way over if things break right, if they're healthy. But I can't. I'm not allowed to waffle like that. I'm going under. Got it. Under. <laughs> That's my vote. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now, Doug, it's time for your third inning question. I know you're ready. Absolutely. Max Scherzer has now had eight straight seasons with double-digit wins. Yeah, we're asking a wins question. Mm-hmm. And, at last, and at least 200 strikeouts. So here's your question. Who has the second longest current streak of double-digit wins 200 strikeouts. And I'll tell you what, let's do another multiple choice. I like those. This is fun. Okay, here we go. Is it A, Jacob deGrom, B, Garrett Cole, C, Justin Verlander, or D, Cole Hamels? Second longest streak of double-digit wins, 200 strikeouts. deGrom, Cole, Verlander, Hamels. Wow. Uh, well, DeGrom won like nine. I'm going to scratch him off. Cole, has he been around eight years? That doesn't sound right. Uh, Verlander, 
and Cole Hamels. Gosh, it seemed like Hamels might have snuck in there, but he's been beat up a lot lately. Injured. All right, so I'll just go Justin Verlander because, you know, he just he's a machine. Yeah, that's well done. Uh, Justin Verlander is, in fact, the answer with four in a row. You are on a roll. You like this multiple choice thing. <laughs> Bring it on. Doug, I asked you a Max Scherzer question because he's one of the pitchers that I quoted in my latest column in The Athletic. Uh, I ask an interesting question in this piece I wrote. In the wake of Astrogate, what's the solution to sign stealing? Is it to roll back access to technology or might it actually be to lean into technology? And we'll get into that big picture question in a minute. But let me ask you first about some of these ideas that I wrote about that baseball has explored that would actually utilize more technology as opposed to uh, doing what's been done for the last hundred years with catchers wiggling their fingers (laughs) and hoping nobody can figure out what that means and what the next (laughs) pitch is. Uh, I think we can do better than that, right? So you ready for these ideas? Yeah, I mean, Trevor Bauer had one answer, so we could we could think about that. Tell tell everybody what's coming. Reverse, <laughs> reverse <laughs> okay, psychology. That's not, <laughs> yeah, that's not going to catch on. Let me ask you about some of this stuff. Uh, and, and then I'll, re, I'll, I'll go through these, then you can tell me whether you like any of them. One is colored lights. They would bury these colored lights in the mound. There'd be four lights, hmm. like red, green, yellow, blue. And, you know, whichever one blink, the first one, the second one, the third one, or the fourth one, that would be the sign for the next pitch that was coming. So the catcher would still get to call pitches, wiggle fingers, but it would be the actual pitch would be color light coded. And in order to steal the the, the signs with the colored lights, you'd need to have like a drone or a helicopter or something. (laughs) It's fun. I like it. Uh, Next idea. Apple watches that you'd wear in your wrist or, or Fitbits. You could actually even embed the Fitbits into the pitcher's glove. Not the whole wristband, but the, but the surface of the Fitbit. Fit, surface of the Fitbit. And you could pre, um, pre-program these devices with the game plan, each pitcher versus each hitter. And then you could just flash it into his glove. It's kind of cool, I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it'd be quick, right? Um or earpieces. Um, you know, we had Rizzo and Brian in that Cubs game running around with earpieces in, talking back and forth to the booth. They're, you know how they could hear each other, right? It wasn't lip reading. It's with earpieces. So that's obviously the technology is there to do that. Or uh, I heard about this idea, a wristband that randomly picks a new number one to five every 15 seconds, and it would just randomly rotate. And the number would determine which sign is the next pitch. Everybody be synced up, pitcher, catcher, middle infielders. Um, so that would be pretty much foolproof. What do you think, Doug? Do you like any of those ideas? Lights, watches, Fitbits, earpieces, wristbands, any of that? Well, yeah. I, I You know, I, I the one I like is the – Apple Watch Fitbit kind of combo. I think that it's portable enough and you could hide it maybe in your glove or under your glove and you can find, you know, ways to, you know, keep it, you know, keep it tight. I, I kind of like the idea of the, the sort of mobility of it and the communication. It's more direct. And yeah, I, I mean, you could probably just put on your watch like curveball, you know, you don't have to really be fancy about it. So, yeah. Uh, so, right. yeah, I mean, now the, you know, the colored lights, 
is uh, it's a little concerning because you know I don't know how big these lights are. It's colorful. Is it how big are these lights? Is is it enough they'd to be like? Ta- they'd be. Stop traffic? Can you? No, would, be, would there be some traffic issues? Or, I'm a little worried about that. What? You, you, so you're about to steal a base, but you see the red light on the mines now, like, so you stop. Stop. No, that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're they're tiny little lights. Mm. There'd be uh, little blinders over them, so just the pitcher could see them theoretically. Um, oh, all right, that'd be the plan. That's anyway. interesting. Yeah. Well, other than uh, so, the, well, I you know you got to dive into technology. If you try to beat up on technology, you usually are going to lose or end up in the dark ages. So it just seems to make sense to me that you figure out a way to manage it better. I mean, look, this is the world we're in. I mean, I have an Apple Watch, but why do I have an Apple Watch? To manage my iPhone. It's kind of ridiculous and sad in some ways, but it actually <laughs> helps re- reduce like the, you know, oh, I got my phone. I see an alert, you know, so I got to turn off my alerts. The watch is more succinct and it's the most important data. It's the world we're in. So uh, other than rogue hackers, which I would not be shocked to find out that happens at one point, seems, you know, seems like a simple way to move on. Because the fingers, I mean, if we're going to go old school and stay old school, then you might as well just use like carrier pigeons or owls or something like, you know, and just call, you know, Morse code, just call it a day, you know, like, but if we, we got to move on. The fingers are just, you know, it's, it's kind of becoming yesterday. And, and obviously it's, people are finding ways to use it against you. So let's move on. Yeah. Now the NFL, as you know, has been sending in signals with technology for more than 25 years <laughs> while baseball keeps wiggling fingers. Right. As I wrote, it's pretty much the most baseball thing ever. <laughs> <Right>. Okay. <laughs> but he, 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 here, like I'm, I'm with you. Uh, this is a time where we have so much great technology. It feels like it's time to use it. And yet when I ask players about it, Guys like Scherzer and Sean Doolittle, Tyler Glasnow, David Price, Clayton Kershaw, except for Tyler Glasnow, every (laughs) one of them said, I don't want to do this. Like Sean Doolittle is a really cool, forward-thinking guy, right? And he said, I hate that my brain works this way, but like this paranoid part of my brain is worried about hackers, is just worried about the stuff that could go wrong. And that's where we are. You can't make the players wear the stuff or use the stuff. They're conditioned to think that wiggling fingers is how it works. Uh, I I disagree. But uh, I I think despite all the time and money that's been invested in this and all the cool technology out there, I think we're just going to keep wiggling fingers. I really do. Uh, well, Sean Doolittle had, you know, has lavender oil in his, right? I mean, he uses, so I, I appreciate it. He could change, he could have like an aromatherapy communication with his catcher, different scents, you know, and, and you know, if you, you know, I mean, so I get it, you know, be, yeah. be old school. Uh, or you have a great sponsorship opportunity with Harry Potter and all the owls. You could all have your own owl. Uh, you know, a Hedwig, uh, what was a Pigwidgeon, which was, you know, Ronald Weasley for all you Potter fans out there. Uh, so I, the sky's the limit. If we bring in animals, if we want to go really old school, then let's just go all out zoo and, and just make it fun. Yeah, let's just have animals run around the field between pitches. Yeah. I, what could what could go wrong there? Absolutely, nothing. <laughs> uh, all right, it's time for the fourth inning, which means... Time for this week's listener question, mm-hmm. which we love. It allows you, our favorite listeners, to be part of our podcast. You're going to get your 15 seconds of fame. Make us look like dopes. Grow your Twitter following. It's awesome. We'll tell you how to do this later in the show. 
the idea of the question is you submit the trivia question, then uh, Cam, the evil mayor of Starkville, he'll look at the question and say, I'll never get this one right. So he'll pick that one. We'll get it wrong. Then we'll have a fun topic to kick around. It's a beautiful thing. So, Doug, here is this week's question. It comes from Jim Moynihan. Uh, he, uh, he calls himself the Jim Rat on Twitter. And his <laughs> Twitter handle is at JC Moynihan15. And here's his question. He asks us, who was the last switch hitter to win the AL MVP? And this is hard, man. Um, it's supposed to be hard. I know that. So I I thought about all the great switch hitters, uh, Beltron and Frankie Frisch and um, all these guys. I, I Lindor, it feels like there's some trick question here. To this maybe it's like a pitcher who is a switch hitter. I don't know, but absolutely. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get I'm gonna go old school. I think the answer is Mickey Mantle. I, again, I feel like it's a trick question, but I can't think of anybody else. I, I'm just gonna guess Mickey Mantle. What do you got? Well, I, I my yeah my runner up was Eddie Murray, it's, but I feel like I've heard this somewhere before, and I think the trick is correct. I think it is a pitcher. And the switch hitting pitcher that I think of is Vita Blue. I think he was a switch hitter because he hit a home run in the World Series. I know that was like a trivia question about him, like last switch hitter to hit a home run or something like that from the American League. <laughs> so I, I'm just going to go Vita Blue and just, that's it. I'm throwing it out there. Let's bring the mayor in here. Cam, how do we do? <laughs> uh, Jason, uh, I'm playing pretty blue after that guess. Vita Blue, because Doug got it right. Really? It is Vita Blue, the 1971 MVP in the AL, over 300 innings pitched, and an ERA of 1.82, and some hits sprinkled in here and there. Great job, Ooh. Doug. That felt good. I, I know good. Doug got this right, but how, how, how do we feel about trick questions? What do you think? Ooh. Do we like these? Well, I, I'm just like I'm I'm, not, I'm, I'm. I'm assuming they're trying to trick us, especially after that that <laughs> Kershaw answer last week or whatever. Uh, and we were on yeah. that too. We were on it. We're like, give me a reliever. You know, we were close, but yeah, it's. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I was I was ready for, but I, I I literally I think I watched recently. I go back and look at World Series highlights from like 70s and 80s just to, and I remember you know watching the A's, Dodgers, A, you know, Vita's. You know, I just know I've heard that name. I know it. So I feel good. I feel good about yeah. that. Fire, That's fire. really good. Hey, you know the last National League switch hitter to win the MVP? Mm. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, let's see. Chipper Jones. You, you've talked about him on this show many times. Oh, I have? Wow. Not Chipper? I didn't talk about Chipper a lot. I should. Not. It's actually not Chipper. Chipper did do it, but it's a, it's actually Jimmy Rollins. Jay Reezy. Uh, that's right. Two, to, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. 2007. So... That's a good segue because, all right, the idea of the segment is we take the trivia question, then we use that question to inspire some fun conversation. And my first thought was, why don't we debate who's the best switch hitter in the big leagues right now? Which means we're actually debating who's the best switch hitter on the Indians or possibly Ketel Marte because that's that's the entire thing. The Indians will have an entire infield of all switch hitters, Doug. (laughs) But beyond them... There are not a lot of impact bats in the big leagues who switch hit anymore. It's weird because we're not that far removed from a time when Chipper, Lance Berkman, Mark Teixeira, another 
guy I thought about for this question. Beltron, Posada, Rollins, Bernie Williams. Think of all the great switch hitters not so long ago. And now we have very few. And I don't have a good explanation for why that is. So, Doug, I'm going to defer to you. Why do, why do we no longer see the array of great switch hitters in our game? Yeah, well, I always remember talking to various switch hitters like Jimmy Rollins and and them t- explaining that it's hard to manage one swing, let alone two. Uh, you, you, you can't just say, oh, I, I took half as many batting practice pitches. No, you actually have to do full on both sides. You have to really hone in on a craft. And one theory that I think can hold is that as you've gotten deeper into analytics and you start to understand the depth of the nuances between a switch hitter's sides, which you you know can clearly see with some of these hitters today, and one guy hits you know, 40, 50 points lower on one side, you could justify not having him in the lineup. I mean, so if you're unless you are a high-level, highly capable fairly balanced or dominant switch hitter on both sides, you start to lose value. And teams are not going to say, well, you know, fine, we'll just want, we want Carlos Santana in the lineup, even though he hits 198. Uh, that's fine. No, they want to win. They, you know, it's so situational now on how you're trying to build wins that it's, you have to, you have to be Chipper Jones. I mean, Chipper Jones was ridiculous. He had 300 from both sides of the plate. I mean, more walks and strikeouts, over 400, you know, winning per, uh, over 400 on base percentage, 100 plus runs. I mean, the guy was dominant on either side, so it didn't matter. But it matters more. And when you're, when you're not as balanced, they notice, and they will they'll replace you or change you know change your platoon status. And I don't think you want that. So you better be really good. Yeah, it's a really good point. I don't know if it's right, but it's a really good point. <laughs> so let's go with that. Let's go with Doug's theory. Uh, Doug, time for the fifth inning question. Who is the last guy to win a Manager of the Year award who no longer has a managing job in the big leagues? Mm. Is it A, Bruce Bochy, B, Matt Williams, C, Paul Molitor, or D, Buck Showalter. So Bochy, Williams, Molitor, Showalter. Now, I'm, I'm assuming there's no trick in that they all did win the Manager of the Year award, correct? I mean, I, I just sorry. Is, uh, all okay. right. <laughs> just making sure. <laughs> I am sneaky. Uh, Even I know I just denounced trick questions, but I can be tricky. Yes. All right. But, but yes. Okay, good. So, you know, I, I think it's Buck Showalter. I think it's Buck Showalter because he had a great year in Baltimore and, you know, seemed like I was out there doing a lot of their games that year. Uh, you know, Bochi was a while back and I don't really, you know, Molitor seemed like it was a while, you know, so I'm going to eliminate the middle guys. So I'm going to say Buck. Yeah. Mm, okay. Well, Buck is a multiple manager of the year award winner, but he is not the answer oh. to this question. Uh, also, Bruce Bochi. you know how many times he won manager of the year as a giant? That would be none. None. One with the Padres, never as a giant. The actual answer is Paul Molitor, one with the 2017 Twins, lasted one more year and got let go. Yeah, wow. Tough tough gig. Yeah, tough tough gig. Really tough gig. Yeah. Good question. Now, I asked a manager question because I just wrote another piece in The Athletic in which I asked a bunch of managers 
how the new three batter rule is essentially going to ruin their lives. All right, not quite, but I mean, it's definitely going to change their lives because there's. It, it seems like there's this myth that this rule, which says uh, when a pitcher enters the game, he has to face at least three batters unless the inning ends first, that that rule is going to kill strategy. Come on, that's not true. It's just going to change strategy. Uh, but what was really interesting was to listen to these managers predict how they think it's going to change strategy. So let, let's run through some of this stuff that they see coming. Uh, Doug, they see an explosion in intentional walks. They see a big uptick in intentional walks with first base occupied, right? Like say Whoa. you've got a uh, left-handed pitcher in the game. Uh, you bring him in. He doesn't get the left-handed hitter out. He's on first. Now Nolan Arenado's coming at, up. You don't want to face him. Uh, you got a left-handed hitter on deck, so you intentionally walk Nolan Arenado even if there's a runner on first. You could see that happen. Wow. These, these guys even predict intentional walks with the bases loaded. So, Doug, should we be looking forward to that? What? I mean, what? so what is the reason they want to, first of all, Put a run, you know, knock a run in basically, or put someone in scoring uh, position that uh, isn't. Uh, all right, all right. You're you're um, you're doing the uh, the bases loaded intentional yeah. walk, That's what or you mean. or uh, even a run on first. The, uh, why would you uh, put just someone because, in scoring position? All right, these managers are used to maneuvering through the game, through the chess match, so that they're getting the best possible matchup, right? They've got their best left-hander in the game for the other team's best left-handed hitter, and then he gets them out and he take them out. That's what used to happen. Sure. Can't happen anymore. So I'd say you've got one of these lineups that goes left, right, left. Mm -hmm. You bring that left-hander in, he gets the left-hander out. You've got a lead of two, three, four runs. You want to leave that guy in the game, but you don't like him facing the right-hander, so you have him just intentionally walk the right-hander, no matter how many guys are on base, Oof. and then you let him face that second left-handed hitter because that's what you brought him in the game to do. So that's the principle. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I, I, you know, the lineups are going to be constructed typically, right? You split up your lefty so you can't have some lefty come in and just mow them down. So you break them up and there'll be more incentive to avoid them completely, right? Avoid the righty in that scenario. Uh, I, it's going to come down to the analytics world of deciding the run, the probability of scoring a run once you advance someone from first to second. And I'm sure the calculations right. are. And but so it goes back to that point about analytics and deciding that, you know, what kind of game do you want? You know, you, you reward what you value. And if you value that you're getting so granular that you're playing odds makers, then you're just going to eliminate certain opportunities. For example, if you try to steal third base with two outs, let's say, and you get caught, your your chance of scoring a run just went down. You know, well, that, that just ended the inning. But if it's less than two outs, your chance of scoring a run just went down, whatever, 40%. But if you make it, it's 20%. So you're, the advantage of you scoring, the advantage of you going to third on a stolen base is not as sort of valued as the risk if you get caught and what you lose when you get caught. So the problem I have is that once you start weighing it that way, that you get a 20% game gain or a 40% loss, then you'll just eliminate the play altogether, unless you can make it 80, 90% of the time. 
But with pitchers, you know, what isn't there some value to say, all right, you need to have certain skills to get you know righties and lefties out, or you know, you could push it that way. So it is a choice. But if you you could have thirty five members of the bullpen, you know, you could you could have all these guys for specialty, <laughs> and it, the league is trying to push back against that. And I do think that's a yeah. good thing. So that you, because think about the great moments and great plays. They were low percentage plays. That's that's what changed history often, the low percentage plays. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And that is one of the reasons, one of the big reasons to try this rule out. And we know how the analytic crowd feels about this. How many intentional walks did the data-driven Astros issue during the entire regular season last year? That would be zero. zero. Tells you all you need to know about how the analytics crowd thinks. They think base runners are bad. So you're going to have this tug-of-war between managers and uh, the analytics people. It's going to be really interesting. Uh, let, let me tell you about another one. Uh, these managers also think we're going to see a bunch of mid-at-bat pitching changes. And the example I used uh, in the piece was, all right, John Lester goes out for the seventh. He runs a 3-0 and count to the first hitter. Well, here comes David Ross, brings in the right-hander like Tyler Chatwood uh, to finish the walk. And so this is crazy. This, is, this doesn't compute, but it's true. In the box score... John Lester gets credit for walking that hitter. But Major League Baseball has told these managers, whoever's on the mound when the at-bat ends gets credit for the batter face. So say Tyler Chatwood comes in 3-0 count and David Ross puts up four fingers. You actually have a reliever who has come in and thrown zero pitches to the batter and got credit for facing him. Wow. So... What do you think, Doug? Is that good? Is that if that happens? Is that what baseball had in mind? No, no, no. I mean, you have to realize that the these the analytics partners are so far ahead that anything you put in, they're going to figure out a way to come up with the algorithm. And if it's something as ridiculous as that, if it shows that it gives you an advantage, you will because it's like you know I would say invisible appearances. It's like when I pinch hit and then you pinch hit for the pinch hitter, and you appeared but you didn't actually show up. You know, you weren't actually there. And it starts to feel a little bit ridiculous and contrived because you could, you know, you could move all your fielders around on every pitch. Oh, well, the, you know, we're going to move the left fielder to right field, the right fielder to left field because he's more likely to pull it and Yelich is a better left fielder. And, you know, then at one point, <laughs> when do you actually throw a pitch? You know, that starts to be the problem. Yeah, uh, we're, we're going to move along here, but I, I have to tell you about one more that that uh, I, I learned about. Went to the Rays camp. Uh, the Rays... Do wacky stuff. We like that, right? They had this yes. left-hander, Adam Kalarik, last year. And uh, he was one of the most lethal situational left-handers in the game. So there were two different games where he came in, he faced a left-handed hitter, then they moved him to first base uh, for one hitter. Then they brought him back to face the next left-handed hitter. Uh, that's not going to happen anymore <laughs> because the pitcher comes in the game, he has to face three hitters. If you move him to another position and then you bring him back, he has to face three more. So that is never going to happen. And like, I'm going to miss that. Joe Madden's done a bunch of stuff like that. Yeah, I'm going to miss it. I think the game is more fun when you can do stuff like that. Absolutely. That's just me whining. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, let's go to the sixth inning. Once upon a time... There was a player named Doug Glanville. Ooh. Ever heard of that guy? Yeah, yeah. I can, I can 
kind of remember him. Yeah. Uh, he once had a season in which he stole 34 bases, and he only got thrown out twice. That was in 1999. So since then, only one other player has stolen that many bases in any season without getting caught more than twice. Who was that player, Doug? Was it A, Kyle Crawford? Was it B, Ichiro? Was it C, Jose Reyes? Or was it D, Alfonso Soriano? So Crawford, Ichiro, Reyes, and Soriano. What do you think? And you know, it's Crawford was really efficient, really efficient. I'm sure he had some crazy year where he only got caught once. He was so hard to catch. Um, but you know, so, something you know, I'm, I'm eliminating Ichiro and Reyes. I just for some reason they just don't slap me in the face. But I, I feel like Soriano had some crazy year like that. Like he was 35 for 36 or something ridiculous. And I don't know why I just remember that. I don't know if it was when I was living in Chicago after I retired or what. So I'm, I'm going to say Alfonso Soriano D. Uh, okay, that that's your guess, right? Okay, that, now Soriano did have one of those years, but he only stole 30. Oh. 30 steals, two caught stealings. Nice. Uh, Good year. You guess Carl Crawford. He did not show up on the list. Um Carlos Beltran once had a year where he had 31 for 32, but he's not the answer either because you stole 34 bases. The answer is the one, the only, Ichiro Suzuki. Wow. 45 for 47, Oh, my gosh. In 2007. 45 and two. Pretty (laughs) good. Uh, All right, Doug, time for us all to take a seat in the dugout one more time. We introduced this segment last week. People loved it. You know, one of the things I've always noticed about you is many things have happened to you. Uh, these things were entertaining. You remember these things, many of these things. So that makes you a sensational storyteller. And Doug, when you take your seat in the dugout, it's your chance to tell us a story. So what story do you have for us this week? Uh, just give me a second, though. I need to roast a marshmallow <laughs> while you tell your story. Yes. Grab some sunflower seeds and bubble gum. Boys and girls of Starkville, welcome. Oh, real quick, by the way, in the stolen base thing, before I get into it, is I stole a base <laughs> that uh, I, the umpire forgot that it wasn't a force play. Francona was managing. I slid in, popped up. They tagged me anyway, just for fun, and they called me out. And the umpire said, I can't change the call, but I actually forgot that it was a tag play. So that was one of the times I got caught in my in one of my streaks, by the way. <laughs> So just throwing that out wow. there. Francona came out That's and just a said, bonus, yeah, bonus, bonus yeah. dugout. Bonus so, story. So this story takes us to Raleigh, North Carolina. And my wife and I were going out to meet a couple for a costume party during Halloween where they were dead serious costume uh, aficionados that were, we were going to get judged on our costume. And the winners took away some serious prizes, like $200 Visa gift cards and stuff like that. So we heard about it, and they also had so many people. There were categories, fantasy, all these different ones. Well, one of the categories was sports. So my mom was there, you know, babysitting, and my wife and I get together. My wife, who's an amazing seamstress and sewing machine, basically herself, she worked on her costume. She was pregnant at the time and made a cauldron. She was a witch as and looking like she was coming out of a cauldron with her belly, and then she made a cauldron around her belly, 
it was it was amazing. And she sewed it. She had the hat. Amazing. Her nails were done. Immaculate. She didn't even place. That's how deep this competition was. So I, I like eight minutes before, I'm thinking, you know, I got to do something because I hadn't thought of an idea. So I decide <laughs> that I'm going to go as myself. So I get my Texas Rangers uniform and I said, well, that's too basic. Let me be myself on, on steroids. So I decide that I take my uniform and I stuff myself with all kinds of muscle I, I do go to Kinko's and I get my bur- baseball card and I blow it up so I can wear it around my neck and I change all the numbers. I had 50 home runs to each year and I add a one to all my RBI totals and, and just like my whole stat sheet. So I have that. I have a bottle of what is sort of giant vitamins and in honor of Jim Tomei, who used to call you Biggin all the time. I called my new product Biggin and I actually had syringes sticking out of my body uh, in various places. So yes, it was... It was a nod to the steroid era in a humorous, hopefully, way. And I literally go as myself, as Doug Glanville. So I get to the party, and first of all, there wasn't all these baseball fans, but the ones that were said, well, why would you go as him? Why would you even go as him? That's kind of obscure. They were all talking to me, not even thinking the possibility that I actually was myself. So <laughs> so, I, so, finally, I just said, look, I'm, I'm just, I'm his cousin. And that, that kind of carried for a little while. It's like, oh, cool. And as people drank, they thought that was great anyway. So the whole night, nobody believes on me. And I, I'm still, I can't even tell them. And they still don't believe me. So I just go with it. So they finally get to the <laughs> voting. And I, I absolutely win the category, like flat out win the category. Oh, no. <laughs> and my wife is, of course, like, how is it that you put this thing together in eight minutes and you win the whole thing? And I sewed for like days, right? So I win the category and still... All these hours there, nobody believes that I'm actually myself. So we were about to leave finally at this point. I'm outside. Guy says, Oh, wait, I like Doug Glamble. It's like, and finally I was like, I, I am actually him. He's like, No, you're not. Why would you be living here? I don't believe you at all. So I show him my driver's license. He says that I doctored my license and that I would go that far to win. The- <laughs> so it took my wife showing her her driver's license with her last name matching mine for finally one person in the entire evening to believe that I actually was myself. So moral of the story is if you go to a costume party as yourself, you can be, it's the greatest disguise ever that you could think of because you're hidden in plain sight. So that's the moral. What Like that's a great story, but I had a thought while I was listening to it. How do I know that it's actually you now? That's a very good could, question. And you could have a, somebody that, that does impressions. I like it. Testing is you. Yes. Well, Starkville it, can, you know, when I get yeah. my, my passport, we'll have to make an authentic check to make sure this voice is authentic all the way. But I can vouch for me. Yeah. yeah and, the you know, the other irony here, after you tell a story in which nobody realizes that you are you, is I asked a Doug Glanville trivia question, and you got it wrong. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> somehow, somehow, there's a little symmetry in the world today. I never, I never get uh, the easy questions right. I blow them every time. <laughs> <laughs> right, Doug. Before we go, yes, we have to pick this year's stupid baseball bet. And uh, as I mentioned last week, I've mentioned quite a few times. I just stole this idea 
for a stupid baseball bet from my two good friends, Glenn Macnow and Ray Dinger, who do a radio show in Philadelphia, and they have an annual stupid football bet, which I get a kick out of. So last season, we did a stupid baseball bet that involved position players pitching, and there were 95 of them, so it was a kind of a, became a way more fun bet than we ever imagined. Now, what we have to decide, Doug, is what should we do this year? Um, all right, so our first choice is we could still do position players pitching, even though baseball has put rules in place that make that harder. Or we could do something, we talked about this, something around the three batter rule. Pitchers who face at least three hitters and get none of them out. Uh, we could do intentional walks or intentional walks with first base occupied. Uh, we talked last week about double figure strikeout games where we each pick a team or a division or we could pick who has you get who has the fewest double figure strikeout games, all of that. Um, I was thinking free agent pitchers because they never get hurt, right? Yeah, they do. Um, so we could do free agent pitcher uh, injured list stints, right? We could each draft a team of free agents and whoever's team goes on the injured list the most times would would win the bet or whatever. Um, do you, you have any thoughts? You know, I, I still love the position players pitching. I mean, that is that is like perfectly, it's quintessential to Starkville insanity and fun because <laughs> when it comes, when it happens, we could talk about it. It's always funny. And like, that's what I worry about the injured list because like someone like got, you know, broke their arm or something. It's kind of hard to, to pivot into like, you know, our fun little right. banter on it. I was looking at the White Sox game the other day and I noticed that everybody seemed to have a number higher than 70. So what could be really stupid is if we kind of tally the sum total of the uniform numbers of a lineup and maybe like whoever has the most that week or, uh, you know, we could have an over-under or something really crazy like that. Uh, that That's pretty stupid. You know, that could be kind of fun and stupid if we it's, wanted to change it up. Hey, it's it's definitely stupid, but I have a question. Yeah. Who's keeping track of that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like who who's adding up those numbers? I'm not doing that. <laughs> we have any volunteers out there in Starkville? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to hire an intern to count up the numbers. Uh, that, that, that's a like that's a definitely a stupid idea, but it's so stupid we can't even keep track of it. So it makes it well, we need a poll. Yeah, here's what I think we need we a poll. Like you said, we need a poll. We need something. <laughs> yeah, right. Here's what I think we should do. Rather than decide this week. We should do a Twitter poll and let our listeners choose what our stupid baseball bet should be. And so we'll come up with like three choices. We'll put it up there out there on Twitter. We'll let the listeners vote. And then God knows what stupid thing we'll wind up doing. <laughs> so just stay tuned for that. All right. I look forward to yeah, challenge okay. calls, rain delays. Yeah, we could we could put some cool things in the list. So yeah, looking forward to that. Right. <laughs> All right, great. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Starkville. We're going to keep churning out shows every week now that it's spring training, now that the season's coming. So you'll still be able to find us on the Athletic Podcast feed on Tuesdays, but we're now available everywhere you get your podcasts. So be sure to subscribe to Starkville on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, wherever the heck you find the podcast you listen to. And in between podcasts, remember to read us on the Athletic website and on the Athletic app. And the big news is you can also be part of this podcast. You just have to send us a trivia question that we'll get wrong. You can do that via email 
at Starkville with an E at theathletic.com. Starkville with an E at theathletic.com. Or you can tweet it at us via Twitter, of course. Uh, you can find me at Jason ST, at Jason with a Y ST. Or Doug, they can hit you up where? At Doug Glanville, very easy. D O U G G L A N V I L L E. Straightforward. Right, you are. And just remember to hashtag those questions. Hashtag Starkville QS. That's Starkville with an E QS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Ken Rosenthal for joining us. Thanks to you all for listening. We will see you next week on Starkville. Starkville.